0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Jesus, thanks for your goodness and your loving kindness. Uh, Thank you for the hope we have in the resurrection. And... Um, pray, Lord Christ, that you would be at work uh, through your Holy Spirit today. That, um, Lord, that our hearts would be open, that our hearts would be soft to your Word, and pray, God, that you would um, give us all hope, that you would uh, give us comfort and healing, and pray that you would use me, to use this time for the for the sake and glory of Christ. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. amen. Okay, so um, this is the uh, second three classes. Um, about truths that comfort sustain and redeem in tragedy, and um, the the kind of the background of this thanks so much honey the uh, background um, behind this class is uh, most of you know but I know, but we have a lot of new people here, so I'll just give you a little background is that um, four and a half years ago, my oldest child passed away, and uh, his name is Cameron and um I, I really kind of had a thought before that happened. It was an unexpected death. Um, there was no signs, no signals, um, and he just died suddenly. And so uh, before that happened, though, I had this uh, fear um, that if um, if something really bad happened to me, that my life would be ruined, and then I would lose my faith, uh, which takes on... Uh, Takes on pretty intense ramifications when you're a paid Christian, right? When you work in ministry and you tell people how good God is and how much He loves you and how real Jesus is, and then you lose your faith, that could create some problems for the teenagers that you've been ministering to. So, anyhow, so when it happened, I found myself very surprised um, that even though it was indescribably awful from a standpoint of, of pain uh, and sorrow, um, I did have hope. And I did not expect that I would be able to trust. God after that happened, but in fact I found myself clinging to God more than I had before. And, um, and so what I was finding was that it was God's Word, it was God's truth, um, as seen in the Bible, uh, and the basic principles of the Gospel um, that were holding me together, that were comforting, that were sustaining me, that were giving me hope in the midst of my worst nightmare. And so um, so last week we talked about how um, the Word of God is uh, your best asset um, and your greatest resource in tragedy and suffering and sorrow Um, today we're going to look at how it is that uh, the gospel how it is that the gospel um, is your greatest asset your greatest resource and so we're going to talk about i'm going to use this terminology a lot about the, the foreground versus the background the foreground versus the background so your view uh, in the foreground, and then your view in the background, okay? And so um, what we're the the kind of principal thing that we'll be talking about is how with the gospel, which is is uh, you know is the message of the good news of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, um, that Christ came into the world to save sinners um, and to redeem the world through his life, death, and resurrection. And so the foreground of the gospel, uh, the 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 physical, natural thing that we see, uh, is the cross uh, that's, that's the foreground of the gospel the background of the gospel is the resurrection of Jesus and it is the kingship of Jesus that Jesus now has ascended and that he reigns on high and then as it says at the, end, the very last chapter of the Bible behold I am making all things new like Jesus from his throne is presently since his death and resurrection he's been sitting on his throne and making all things new and so, um, so that's, you know, cross, the, the painful, um, difficult, uh, excruciating moment of Christ's death is the foreground of the gospel. The background is his resurrection and his reign as king. And so, um, and so here's the thing, is we're going to make these applications. Of, for all of us, we all have our foreground and we have our background. Like the foreground, uh, whether, you know, is, is the tragedy um, and the, the pain, the sorrow, the depression, the wounds that you may have from your life. Whatever it is, whatever that is. Even if that's as first world as you didn't make the basketball team, or if that's as difficult as the loss of someone in your family or uh, a terminal diagnosis. Okay, that's the foreground. But what we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about that, and we're also going to talk about how the background view for a Christian um, is the resurrection of Jesus. It is christ's present reign on his throne and so um and so these pictures this this you're kind of like i'm talking about these very heavy things and there's a picture of the atlantis um <laughs> okay so i have a friend and uh she uh is a, she's a she's a big deal in college basketball she's the founder and president of this um, major basketball tournament uh it's the major basketball tournament now uh down in uh the bahamas and um she uh, she lives in Denver, but she has an office at the Atlantis. Her view is at the resort, um, and so uh, from her office, you know her view is, is this. Uh, it's the things you see around the Atlantis. Um, but you know, in her office, like she she has hard work to do. Like she has a, her is not easy to work with basketball coaches. It's not easy to work with ESPN. I know it sounds really glamorous. Um, but, you know, in her office, there is difficulty, but there's, that's the foreground. But working, you know, but outside, out the window is the background. Pretty, pretty view, right? Um, this is a picture of Sun Valley, Idaho. Uh, I have a friend, and, um, she's a young widow. Um, her husband died of cancer about eight years ago. Uh, she had three boys. Um, they were elementary and middle school age. And they used to always go to Sun Valley, Idaho. Um, On vacation uh, with her husband. And uh, this is a picture she sent me a couple weeks ago. They still go to Sun Valley every year. And this is the view. This was her view in Sun Valley, right? That's the background. That's beautiful. That's nice. The foreground view uh, is that she's there without her husband, you know? And for eight years, she's been raising three boys on her own. That's hard. So, foreground that painful reality of being a widow um, and, you know, the grief of losing a husband, the difficulty of raising sons by herself. Here's the background, Sunday Idaho, it's beautiful. Alas, a friend who lives in the Pacific Northwest, Uh, he sends me pictures like this all the time. Um, But the reason he lives in the Pacific Northwest is because he had an addiction problem and had some catastrophically bad decisions that made it so that he just, best thing for him was to move out of the American South, go to the Northwest. And and so the foreground of his life is the addiction that he struggles with. Uh, The background is these pretty pictures that he's always sending me that I love. So anyhow, so we're going to look today um, at this story um, from well, there we are. Okay, good. We're going to look at a story. If you, um, I'm not sure if we have any extras, but uh, this is the printout. It's from 2 Kings chapter 6. Um, and uh, you know what? What we're going to talk about today is um, how how it is that the background of the gospel, the background of what Jesus has done, the background of Jesus' present reign. Um, how it gives us hope, how it gives you as an individual who is struggling, who is sad, who is depressed, um, uh, who has experienced trauma, how it is that the gospel gives you hope. And so we're going to go through, um, we're going to look at this text uh, from 2 Kings chapter 6, the story of Elisha, and what we're going to, um, the the structure, like the three sections are going to be uh, the, the natural view, the spiritual view, the gospel view. Okay? So here's the text. And to give you a little context here, this is 2 Kings. Uh, so this is back in the Old Testament. This is before Jesus has come. And, uh, and so the Old Testament is largely about you know, God's people, the Israelites, and uh, you know, his promises to them, their failures, and his redemption um, in their work. And so 2 Kings comes at a time where the, the nation of Israel has been divided. Um, there's there's been a, a rebellion, and uh, and so the, the kingdom has been divided into a northern kingdom, and a southern kingdom, uh, and the southern kingdom is okay at times. The northern kingdom is generally bad all the time. <laughs> and so second, uh, second Kings in Second Kings there um, there are these prophets, uh, Elijah and Elisha. Um, with an sh yeah i know not, not very original with their names right um and so this is a story about elisha he is the prophet who comes after uh, elijah and uh, some of you may be familiar with the story but uh one thing that's interesting is in, in the ministry of elijah and elisha there are a lot of miraculous things that happen a lot of times people uh people who are um skeptical of christianity uh, they struggle, and this is, I think, very reasonable given the kind of post-Enlightenment world we live in, they struggle with a lot of the miraculous things that are recorded in the Bible. Um, and one thing, just to kind of maybe uh, speak to that a little bit, because this is a miraculous thing that occurs in this story, is you really only see miraculous things happen in a very concentrated way in three sections of the Bible. Um, it happens with Moses and the Exodus. It happens here with Elijah and Elisha as the, prophet, the, the station of prophet is really being established. And then the, the coming of Jesus. And God does these things in a very intense way in those periods of time because he is doing something big. And it's a way that, uh, in a very clear manner, he can communicate and demonstrate that something big is occurring uh, in a way that's undeniable. And so like, if you're kind of like, why don't we have miracles today? Uh, well, you do kind of in the emerging church, like if places where Christianity has never been before, like the Middle East and Africa and places like that. But, you know, but for the most part, um, the Bible doesn't really promise that miraculous things are going to happen every day. It really, they really just happen at certain major points in redemptive history to just confirm for us that God really is doing something big. Like for example, Jesus does all these miracles. It's confirming that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. Um, so anyhow, Second Kings chapter six. All right. Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, uh, he took counsel with his servant. By the way, when you're saying Israel here, we're talking about the Northern Kingdom. Northern Kingdom, also known as Ephraim. Um, Anyhow, okay, so let's keep on going there. (laughs) He took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place uh, shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel. The man of God is Elisha. Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. In this way, he used to warn him so that he saved himself himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of it, so basically Elisha is tipping off the king of Israel, hey, like the Syrians, they want to come and raid you uh, and they're going to be here, like don't go there, all right? And God's kind of giving him this divine wisdom and this foresight to tell the king, like, hey, be careful. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and he said, said to them, will you not show me who of us is for the king of israel and one of the servants said none my lord o king but elisha the prophet who is in israel tells the king of israel the words that you speak in your bedroom and he said go and see where he is that i may send and seize him so basically the king is like hey someone i've got a leak there's a leak you know in my in my office someone is tipping off the king of israel uh and they're saying no 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 no." there's this guy named elisha elisha and he he can hear what you're saying in your bedroom that's not creepy right okay (laughs) So verse fourteen. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the uh, the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, "Alas, my master, what shall we do?" Okay. So he sees that basically the king of Syria has sent an army. They are surrounded. They are you know, they have no chance. You know, this is Alabama versus Vanderbilt. Sorry, Vandy fans. Um, they're doomed. Um, and so, um, so it says, um, so this is Elisha's response. He said, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, "O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full "...of horses and chariots of fire..." Sorry, young people, that's a movie from way, way back. Um, "...was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, "'Please strike the people with blindness.' So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, "'This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek.' And he led them to Samaria. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And as soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I strike them down? So basically the people have gotten have become blind um, you know, in response to Elisha's prayer, such that they do not recognize Elisha. Like the army has come to kill Elisha, and they do not recognize him supernaturally. So Elisha leads them to the king. This is really cool. He's And the king is like, hey, what should I do? Like, should I kill all these people? Like, they're, they're, they're a menace. They're continually trying to get us. And, um, and Elisha says, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master and the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. So basically, he's like, hey, should I kill him? He's like, no, serve him a feast. And these are the enemies who are coming to kill him. He serves them a feast and they go back and they're like, hey, these Israelites, like, we should give them a break. You know, We should not attack them anymore because a large part of the economy of Syria at this point is that they would just go to countries and steal their stuff. That was, That was, you know... <laughs> That was their 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 economic plan. So um, so anyhow, so an amazing story here, right? Okay, so we'll start out with a natural view here in the story, and you can see that um, you know at the beginning of the story, uh, the servant of Elisha, who's a young man, probably a teenager, um, he wakes up one morning in Dothan, Peanut Capital World. And he uh, sees that they are facing military doom, right? And so the natural view for him, you know, what is his emotional reaction? What does he say when he sees this? Alas, you know, alas. I mean, we can think about what his emotional experience is. He's afraid. He's terrified. He's probably feeling incredible despair. He's feeling doom. Okay, and so uh, one, one thing here is that uh, this is real. You know, the situation is real. Um, there is a real army. They really do have weapons, and they really are there to kill him, okay? And so the natural view is not something that needs to be overlooked. Um, and so one thing I would say um, is that, you know, as this pertains to the foreground of our life, to our worst, to our tragedy and suffering, is... Um, And one way or the other, uh, people a lot of times don't want to acknowledge the natural view. They don't want to acknowledge reality. Um, Sometimes like Christians, and you can go to either extreme on this, sometimes Christians think that it's like wrong to acknowledge their pain and suffering or to be honest that, uh, that they are sad or they are depressed or they are struggling with doubt or whatever it is. Um, and so instead of acknowledging that they think that the, that what God wants us to do is be hyper spiritual so they like pretend to be happy or the classic is they use lots of Christian cliches right God's got a plan you know everything happens for a reason and that stuff is good and true and I'm not hating on you if you're a joyful person um, if you if you're uh, I'm a smiler too we you're safe um, but what I do want to say is that Uh, it is a godly thing to acknowledge the reality of your pain. Uh, It is a godly thing to be honest about your heart. Uh, If you look in the Bible, particularly the Psalms, you see there's a, a whole section, probably the largest category of Psalms are called the laments. And I mean, you want to talk about the expression of deep human anguish. You will never find deeper human anguish than in the laments of the Psalms. I mean, God, where are you? God, you've abandoned me. God, why has this happened to me? Uh, I am, you know, I am uh, in uh, Psalm uh, 42, like I drink my tears, like just an expression of how much sadness um, David is experiencing. How about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? I mean, Jesus is so anguished to a point that he is actually perspiring blood, right? And so, um, and so, one thing I would say is that. Uh, we need to acknowledge the foreground. Uh, there's a, a quote that's used around this church a lot from a, a pastor and theologian named Fitzsimmons Allison. but He has this amazing Old South accent. He goes, Everybody wants to pole vault over Good Friday and land on Easter Sunday. Uh, but, but without the cross, there's no resurrection. Like You've got, you got to acknowledge the foreground. You've got to... I think one of the terms I use in my book... Uh, therefore I have hope that I I didn't mention that (laughs) good for me no self-promotion but uh, one of the things we need to acknowledge is I I use this term in my book called the micro cross your your micro cross you know and like if we're going to get to Easter Sunday all of us have to sit on our micro cross Uh, and that may mean just feeling the tears I mean feeling the the feeling feelings crying the tears going to a counselor and talking about how you're feeling talking to a friend journaling um, but that has to happen. That really does have to happen. That's part of the gospel. The cross is integral to the gospel. is, is integral to the gospel. And so, us being on our micro cross is integral to us being redeemed uh, and being healed. And uh, that is hard for us because it's so easily to be distracted uh, in our world uh, with being really busy or being addicted or playing Fortnite for five hours a day. <laughs> Guys, come on now. Um, Uh, whatever it is uh, it's it's easier for us to want to dodge reality but we need to do that Um, okay so next the spiritual view and that uh, you know takes us to this next section verses 16 and 18 and this is where Elisha responds to um, his servant with what I call in my book the truer truth the truer truth I'm not sure that's good grammar Um, but it got published so Um, (laughs) (laughs) so you know but anyhow, so he says, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, "O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he, and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And so here's the thing is that the, the natural reality is still there. It hasn't changed. They are still surrounded. But what Elisha is doing is opening the eyes of the servant to the spiritual reality. The spiritual reality, which is uh, that God has this uh, army of uh, we, you know, we'll say angels, this army of heavenly spiritual beings that are there to defend and protect them. Uh, and so, what this shows more, the spiritual reality behind this is it, it also says something about God. It says what, what he's the spiritual reality he's seeing and is being reminded of, is um, hey, like God's for us, like God is with us. He's on our side um, and God, you know, God has a way here. God has a way. Uh, there is hope for redemption. There's hope for deliverance here. Um, and so, um, and so uh, you know, again, in this story, the military doom is the foreground. The background is the spiritual army. Um, for us, in our foreground, there's our pain and our suffering. And a lot of times when you're, especially if you're in grief, you're depressed or you've experienced tragedy, it is very hard to see anything but the foreground um, because the images of your pain and suffering are all around you. It's an amazing thing how um, after you've experienced a tragedy, things that used to, uh, like places or things in your house, uh, songs, movies, uh, that used to have like you know no emotional, uh, they weren't emotionally loaded at all, uh, they now all of a sudden are incredibly painful uh they 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 can be excruciating. Like uh you know, children's hospital used to have no you know, no significant I mean, sorry, I don't I sorry, that sounds callous. I used to not really think about children's hospital, you know, I'd just drive down University Boulevard and no big deal. But you know, for several years that, several years, I mean still today, I don't like that's where I had to identify my son's body. Like I do not want to go to I, I don't I don't want to go to children's hospital for anything. Like I intentionally would like if I had to go over to like West Birmingham sorry, West Birmingham I would intentionally like drive all the way north and around so I didn't, so I could see Children's Hospital as little as possible because it's so emotionally loaded. And that goes, and you, all of you kind of know this, that may go for like places you went with a loved one. Um, be that a restaurant or a park or a store, you know, places or a place you go on vacation, a lake house, so on and so forth. And those things now that were either hopeful or joyful now cause you great pain. The point in this is to say sometimes it's very hard for us to see what's in the background, to see the spiritual reality, because it seems like everything is reminding you of your pain and your suffering. Um, And so with that being said, notice a couple of things. First, notice that Elisha prayed. Uh, It wasn't like uh, the servant of God just, you know, started thinking real hard. You know, he, Elisha praying is communicating God, we need you to help us see the spiritual reality. We need you to help us see the background. We cannot see this on our (coughs) own. And so in response to those prayers, God enables uh, the servant of God to see the spiritual reality, to see that hopeful, redemptive reality that was the truer truth. And notice, too, that Elisha says, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the thing is, is, because of the gospel uh The redemptive promises and redemptive character of God is greater than whatever brokenness and sadness you may be in. Um, the redemption of Christ because Christ rose from the grave, he defeated sin and death, he emerged from the cross um, because of that that tells us that the redemptive promises are greater they are the truer truth um, and so you know I think hebrews 11 1, is a, a verse that um, a lot of people use to define faith. It says, 11 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So think about that conviction of things not seen. Basically, the confidence that the truer truth, that the background, the spiritual reality of the gospel, um, that it's there, that it's real, and that it applies to you. Um, so that is the spiritual truth oh we are in such good shape time wise praise the Lord um, so that will take us uh, to the gospel view and this is where I really wanted to get but hey got to go through the hard stuff right don't, don't want to contradict myself um, so now we get to the gospel view and uh, and that, that's kind of the end here in 2 Kings and we can see that uh, this is a, a crazy story amazing, right? These people have come to kill Elisha uh, because their intent is they love to raid the Israelites and to attack them and try to steal their stuff. And you would expect, you know, Elisha leads them to the the king of of Israel, the northern kingdom, and uh, and he's like, hey, should I just kill them all? Should I wipe them out? You know, and you'd kind of, that's kind of like a military, you know, natural military response, you would think. These people are very much aggressive and a threat. Um, and instead, uh, they serve them a feast, right? And so, you know, Elisha in this way, and, and then they're, and they're, they're peace, there's peace between these two enemies, right? And so Elisha foreshadows what Jesus will do. Okay, stay with me on this. This is what you call typology. That's things in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. And so Jesus is a mediator between two enemies, uh, hard hard word here but we're actually the Syrians. We're actually the Syrians in the story. We're the bad guys <laughs> and uh, and in our sin we are actually enemies of God but Jesus comes and makes two 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 parties that where there's a hostility makes them friends. Um, Jesus through the cross um, dies for our sins and makes it such that uh, and, and such that we become uh, adopted sons and daughters of God. And so with that being said, we can see, um, you know, you can see uh, this kind of dynamic of the gospel going on here in this story. Okay. now for us, though, here's the here's the advantage we have that the servant of God did not have um, in this story. The advantage that we have is that Jesus has come um, and that Jesus, you know, God himself appeared in the person of Jesus, um, that he died for us, that he rose from the grave. He's ascended and we have his word. We can now um, see the spiritual reality because we have the entirety of his word, and we have the advantage that we can interpret his word through the person and work of Jesus. And so with that being said, you know, in the Bible, that that is, you know, we we need to pray like Elisha prayed to be able to see the spiritual truth, right? But we have the advantage that we have these spiritual promises. Uh, made to us um we have a we have a um a view into the spiritual realm through the bible uh and so that's that's why um being a reader of the bible both before and during your worst nightmare um is to your advantage it's 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 the resource to help you see in to the spiritual realm and so here's the thing um uh this is going to sound academic but it's going to be practical i promise um so the christ event this kind of describes uh the 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 coming like the whole the whole event of jesus's life death and resurrection um you know all of these all of all of these pieces of jesus's life death resurrection ascension are important uh, and they're going to apply here so first uh the christ event and these are the events that make the that enable the gospel we'll say that effectuate the gospel so you have the incarnation jesus comes uh, he establishes his kingdom. Establishes his kingdom. He lives a perfect life on our behalf. Okay, And he, he proclaims the word of God. And so that's the incarnation. Then you have Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus dies for our sins. Uh, that has to be remediated for us to be in relationship with God. The, the problem of, of our sin with the Holy God has to be dealt with. And Jesus takes care of that on the cross. Then you have the resurrection of Jesus, which demonstrates to us that his death, was effective, um, that he has made the way to new life and God possible, um, and that there will be a resurrection of the dead for us. And then he ascends into heaven. We don't talk about this a lot, but this is why the ascension is so important. The ascension is so important because Jesus goes up to his throne where he is now stationed, where he now sits. And as I said at the beginning in Revelation 22, the last, last chapter of the Bible, Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. So he is presently uh, going about fully redeeming the world um, through the gospel, through his people, and through the work of the Holy Spirit. So here is the deal. Um, how does that pertain to me? Right? How does that pertain to me? And what you've got to see here is that Jesus, through the Christ event, Establishes what is the background of your life. Okay? Every scene in your life, the foreground, is being played out with a background that is the resurrected Christ and Christ sitting on his throne, redeeming all things, including your life. That's the background of your life. And I have to tell you, part of the reason that uh, I am so emphatic about that is because I think for myself, uh, like even in the first hours after Cameron died i think i, I kind of like from a, a you know earlier lesson like had this think of like okay there's a cross right in front of me but like there's a resurrection too and i could kind of see this like okay i'm on the cross my little micro cross but i can see a resi- or i can see a resurrection and in the craziness of it all as 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 you know as little sense as it makes that a little 3 year old boy dies in his sleep there still is Christ on His King. I mean, Christ on His throne. Like Jesus is still King. He's still making all things new. That's the back. That's the backdrop. And so, what Paul says in, in Colossians, and then oh, didn't get that one from uh, from Romans eight, eleven. Oh, it's okay. Um, here, Paul says, they, what Paul is trying to do in most of his letters is he's trying to communicate the implications of what Jesus did in the big picture, in the Christ event and talk about how it applies to us as individuals. And so he says, he, talking to the Colossians, he, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So what he's saying is, if you have come into a relationship with Christ, you now are a citizen of his kingdom. You now live in his kingdom. And therefore the backdrop of your life is Christ sitting on his throne. Romans 811, he says, Oh, come on now, is it all my notes here? Romans eight eleven is if this the same the, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you and will give life to your mortal bodies. So there he's saying that, like, hey, that same Holy Spirit. That raised Jesus from the grave, like it dwells in you too, and in the same way that that Holy Spirit raised Jesus and redeemed Jesus from death, that same Spirit dwells in your heart and rules in your life, and that means like no matter what you're going through, um, that redemption and resurrection of whatever your circumstances is possible, and so that's the hope we need. So, so basically, you know, you see in this picture, um, you have this woman by the, the tomb, thinking that Jesus' body has been uh, stolen, uh, thinking that her beloved Christ um, is dead, but there in the background is Jesus out of the tomb, resurrected in the body. Um, here is maybe a little cheesy photo art from images, uh, Google Images.com, but but, <laughs> um, but uh, you have a person here who's praying, uh, and we're just going to pretend that there's great anguish and lament in their heart, and there in the background is Jesus sitting on the throne of life. And so this is how, um, this is how the gospel uh, gives us hope, no matter what you're going through. And, and hope being this, this like living with this confidence, and this assurance that you can be redeemed, that you know that things can get better, that life is worth living, and it's worth getting out of bed in the morning. That and that's what we need. I've always said. Uh, I can handle pain. I cannot handle despair. You know, like uh, what does it say in Dante in Dante's um, Dante's Inferno? What's the sign on the door of hell? It says that there's no hope here, the place where there is no hope. And so that's what we really need. That's the, the very thing we need to like to live and to flourish and to move forward. Is we need hope, and the gospel, particularly the resurrection of Christ. And that Christ is seated on the throne. You you need to know that that is the background of your life. Like that's the scene that you're that all everything that you're going through is being played out in. Um, and so that gives you the hope to know that whatever you're going through is healable. It's redeemable. So I'm gonna pray. Um, Jesus, thanks for loving us. Thanks for dying for our sins. And um, we just thank you so much for these uh, gospel realities. Um, That in fact um, you are risen and that you sit upon your throne. And we do pray that you give us greater confidence um, to see that as the backdrop of our life, the scene in which our lives are being played out. Uh, Give us hope, heal our hearts, uh, comfort us in assurance. Ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.